Luke chapter 20 tonight, as we continue our series in the Gospel of Luke. I apologize, we do not have outlines for you tonight, but if you're keeping those, we will make sure that we have not only Luke 20 outlines next week, we'll have Luke 21 outlines next week as well. Um, Remind me if I forget, I've got a make a couple of announcements at the end of our Bible study tonight before we leave. I believe that this chapter is going to be very encouraging for all of you because this whole chapter really, to me, is Jesus dealing with all the obstacles and challenges and questions to his life and ministry and he tackles every one of them, and he keeps on going. And, and the reason that was so encouraging to me is because God reminded me that if I'm in Christ, then the Christ who is able to rise to every challenge and every question and every obstacle in his life and ministry, if he can do it, then he will enable and help us to do it as well. Jesus Christ is the solid rock, and you cannot kill a solid rock. And, and throughout this chapter, over and over again, he, he is just put to the test, and he passes the test every time. And God will enable you to pass those tests in your life as well. In the first eight verses, we have a question of his authority by the religious leaders of Israel. This comes on the heels of him going through the temple and casting out the money changers. And the religious leaders of Israel have been sitting back watching Jesus do things like that, and and they've been getting more and more obviously irritated. And, And part of the irritation is, Jesus was not trained in their rabbinical school in Jerusalem. Jesus came from Galilee. That's not where Jewish theologians or, or, or people that are used by God, that, that's not where they come from. And he didn't come from the right family. He didn't have this or that. He didn't have the right pedigree. Hopefully, if you're here tonight, by the way, <coughs> I'm just going to apologize ahead of time. I'm still dealing with this allergies, and I'm heavily medicated like Sunday. <laughs> so I, I, I was told that I got a little wound up on Sunday. I don't remember a thing about it, so. Um, you may run into a situation in your life <coughs> where people question your pedigree, your background, you didn't go to the right school, you didn't, you know, didn't do this. And yet God is working through your life and he's using you. And folks, that's all that matters. That's all that Jesus was trying to say here. Notice, now, on, now one day, verse, verse 1, as Jesus was teaching the people in the temple courts and proclaiming the gospel, the chief priests and the experts in the law with the elders came up and said to him, tell us, By what authority are you doing these things? Or who gave you this authority? How can you question us as the religious leaders of Israel? And who gives you the right or the authority to do what you're doing? 
You'll notice that Jesus answered them with a question, which was actually very common in Jesus' day. It was sort of a way to debate with someone. And he said, I will also ask you a question and you tell me. John's baptism, speaking of John the Baptist and his ministry, was it from heaven or from people? Now, they have a dilemma. (laughs) Because if they say that John's ministry was from heaven, then the question would be, then why didn't you recognize it? Because the religious leaders of Israel did not recognize John the Baptist's ministry. And yet if they say that his ministry wasn't from God or of God, they're going to have a lot of upset people. Thank you. Not that this is really going to help, but I need something stronger than this. It's all right. I'm hoping by Sunday that all this, it just, at least there's something in my head. That's what it reminds me of. Something up there. So notice, even in the Bible, they start saying, they discussed it with one another. Verse 5, saying, well, if we say from heaven, he will say, why did you not believe him? But if we say from people, all the people will stone us because they're convinced that John was a prophet. So they're between a rock and a hard place. They really can't answer Jesus' question because they didn't accept John's ministry, but they don't want to, before all these people who did accept John's ministry, say, John wasn't from God. So they replied that they did not know where it came from. They were fence-sitters just like a lot of politicians and people today. They don't want to take a stand. And so Jesus said to them, neither will I tell you by whose authority I do these things. Because Jesus was using John the Baptist as an example that I might not have went to your school. I might not have been, you know, your pedigree. I may not have been from the right part of Israel. But God is clearly manifesting himself through my ministry, just as he did John's. And that's all that matters. It doesn't matter where you and I come from. If you're walking with God and God is using you, don't let other people discourage you from serving the Lord and doing what God's called you to do. Even though you might not be from where they think you should be. Or have a certain degree. Or have enough training. I'm not against training. But so often, even as Christians, we put so much emphasis on, say, degrees and skill. And we forget that the most important quality of any servant of God is their spirituality. I don't care if someone has five PhDs next to their name. If they're not walking with God... It doesn't matter. It cannot compensate for that. And here at the Oasis, one of the things hopefully that we will always maintain is that when we, you know, look for people in ministry and leadership, and when we encourage people to get involved in ministry and leadership, hopefully we're not going to emphasize the skill and all the earthly accolades and all that kind of stuff, we're going to be looking for people who are just walking with God and whom God is manifesting His presence and His power through their life. That's, that's what 
was Jesus, that was John the Baptist. And so, it's as if you can see it clearly, that at this point, about a week out from Jesus going to the cross, there's a line that's been drawn in the sand between Jesus and the religious leaders of Israel. Who really is fit to lead this nation? And they don't like the fact that Jesus is taking some of their attention away from them. And it's as if, as in the Old West, even out here in Arizona, that Jesus and the religious leaders of Israel faced off high noon. And the religious leaders of Israel was the ones that blinked, not Jesus. Jesus came through this first question or test or challenge to his life and ministry. And he will enable, again, you and I to face those challenges in our life and ministry from others as well. In verse 9, we have here a question of mismanagement. (coughs) Excuse me. Jesus is going to tell them in this parable, he's going to go back through the history of Israel. And he's basically going to lay the responsibility of mismanaging things at the leader's feet. In fact, in verse 19, at the very end of this passage, you know that that's true because the experts in the law and the chief priests wanted to arrest him that very hour because they realized he had told this parable against them. This was against the religious leaders of Israel who over Israel's history had primarily mismanaged what God had entrusted to them. So one of the things that God reminded me of here is just, again, that, that uh, encouragement to be a good steward. And that everything that God places in our hands, everything he entrusts with us, we need to be good managers. And so he began to tell the people this parable, verse 9, a man planted a vineyard. Again, that vineyard motif goes all the way through the Old Testament, dealing especially with the nation of Israel leased it to tenant farmers and went on a journey for a long time. When the harvest time came, he sent a slave to the tenants so that they would give him his portion of the crop. However, the tenants beat his slave and sent him away empty-handed. So he sent another slave. They beat this one too, treated him outrageously and sent him away empty-handed. So he sent still a third. They even wounded this one and threw him out. I believe that three is not a magical number. All that Jesus is saying is over and over again, God sent to the nation of Israel his spokespeople, people who were speaking for him to the nation. And they rejected God's prophets and those who came from God to speak to them about God over and over again. It was the way their history went. They mismanaged this special privilege. So the owner of the vineyard, verse 13, said, what should I do? I'll send my one dear son. That's Jesus. Perhaps they will respect him. But when the tenants saw him, they said to one another, this is the heir. Let's kill him so the inheritance will be ours. And in just a few days, that's exactly what happened. They threw him out of the vineyard and killed him. What then will the owner of the vineyard do to them? He will come and destroy those tenants and give the vineyard to others. 
They mismanaged the privileges that God gave them through a lack of fruitfulness. They were God's vineyard, and they never were fruitful. Even though they had all these advantages, they had the Word of God, they had their experience with God. God sent them prophets and, and everyone over and over again to speak to them. And they just rejected, rejected, rejected. Even up through God's own son, they rejected. So we see here a continual rejection of God's spokespeople. And notice, very importantly, in verse 16, this is an allusion to the Gentiles being brought in when, when he says he will come and destroy those tenants. I believe, again, that's when Rome came through in 70 AD and leveled Jerusalem and then give the vineyard to others. That's exactly what God will do. If God sees that there's someone who's mismanaging something, he'll take that privilege away from them and give it to someone who's more responsible. We saw that last week in the parable that Jesus shared. And then Jesus looks straight at them. Verse 17, it said, then what is the meaning of that which is written? The stone the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. The other thing that was happening in Israel throughout their history is they were building things on a faulty foundation. The only sure, strong, permanent foundation is Jesus Christ. That's what the Bible teaches. But throughout their history, they were not placing anything on the foundation of God's Son. And so Jesus goes on and says, everyone who falls on this stone will be broken to pieces and the one on whom it falls will be crushed. And then, of course, I read that verse already, but notice at the end of verse 19, they were afraid of the people. So we have here again where Jesus is basically confronting the leaders of Israel about their mismanagement and their lack of stewardship. So guess what? A new challenge. Verse 20, they watched him carefully, sent spies who pretended to be sincere. They wanted to take advantage of what he might say so that they could deliver him up to the authority and jurisdiction of the governor. So notice in verse 21, thus they ask him, teacher, we know that you speak and teach correctly and show no partiality, but teach the way of God in accordance with the truth. Well, if that's really the case, then why aren't you following him? Doesn't make any sense, right? It's because they really don't believe that. Again, this is all just hypocrisy. It's all insincere. They're trying to trap Jesus. So verse 21, they thought, we've got him now. Maybe, maybe we messed up on the whole authority question. He, he got us with the whole John the Baptist thing. But now we've been thinking. Now we've got a new question for Jesus. And can I just say this at this point? I, I hope this will encourage you. Throughout your life in ministry with God, you will have people who will come to you and ask you questions. And depending on what kind of questions they ask, and even more importantly, how they ask those questions, will give you great insight into whether this is really somebody who's sincerely seeking and just wants some information and answers and they want more light, or this is somebody who's got an agenda. Because if somebody just wants the information, then they're not going to 
They're not going to steer the question towards one thing or another. They're going to leave it open to the one who answers. And you can see throughout this passage, every time they asked Jesus a question, it was actually steering it a certain way because they had evil motivation and evil intention behind it. They really didn't want to know what Jesus had to say as far as the information goes. They were trying to trap him and trick him and get him to mess up so that they had some grounds on which to arrest him. So here was the question. Verse 22. Politics. Oh, if you're ever going to have controversy, bring up politics, right? We've got Jesus here. Here's why. Because the way we're going to frame this question is, he's either got to choose that he's for Rome or that he's on Israel's side. There's no way he's going to be able to get out of this one. So here's the question, Jesus. Is it right for us to pay the tribute tax to Caesar or not? Jesus perceived their deceit and said to them, show me a denarius. This was a coin that the Jews would pay their tribute tax to Rome. And he says, whose image and inscription are on it? And they said, Caesar's. So he said to them, then give to Caesar the things that are Caesar's and to God the things that are God's. See, they're trying to question him as to where his loyalty lies. Jesus, does your loyalty lie to Rome? And if so, boy, you're in trouble. You better make sure that as a good Jew, your loyalty lies with the nation of Israel. But again, by the way they framed the question... They were expecting that the only way he could answer that question was an either or. Either I've got to be for Rome or I've got to be for Israel. But Jesus didn't answer it that way. Instead of an either or, notice Jesus' answer is a both and. It's that just because I support this government doesn't make me anti-God or anti-Israel. It's both and. In fact, what Jesus is teaching everyone here is that he transcends politics. It's not about nationalism. He didn't come to make Israel rule the world like Rome. But notice also, he did not put down or see a contradiction between the existence of a government like Rome, even a pagan government, to have the right to exist and be supported by all of its citizens. He didn't see a problem with that. Now, this passage isn't all about, well, what if a government asks you to do something that's against God's will? Well, obviously, then we've got to take it a step further, but that's not what this is about. This was about trapping and tripping Jesus into saying, you've got to, you've got to side either with them or either with us. And his response was, no, I don't. It's not an either or answer. It's a both and. I can be a dedicated Christian, for instance, 
and still be a good citizen, even under a pagan government. I mean, you look throughout the Bible. Look at Daniel with Nebuchadnezzar and Babylon. I mean, Joseph with Pharaoh and Egypt. There were many times where God greatly used his people, even in the midst of pagan, unbelieving governments. Because God transcends politics. And the answer to man's ills is not politics. The answer to man's ills is not even the United States of America any more than it was Israel. The answer to America certainly isn't the Republican Party or the Democratic Party. The answer to all mankind is Jesus Christ, period. And that's exactly what Jesus here was reminding them of. If the coin says Caesar, then you should pay tax to Caesar. If they're taking care of certain things and you're under them, then pay your tax. But notice something. Jesus is also in this passage implying the fact that a government, any human government, even a pagan government, may have the right to tax its people because of some of the services they provide, but they have no right to the people themselves. The people of any land, of any government, of any nation, belong to God because we were created in the image of God. God has stamped us with His image. Therefore, we are God's. They can take our money. They cannot take us because we are God's possession. Thus, again, verse 26, you can imagine them wringing their hands by now or pulling out hair if they had any. Verse 20, thus they were unable in the presence of the people to trap him with his own words. And stunned by his answer, they fell silent. He shut him up. Again, here's what I want you to see in this passage. I want you to see that Jesus' life and ministry was not everybody just rolled out the red carpet and just accepted him and loved him and embraced him and all that. No, his life and ministry was all about questioning him and challenging him and throwing up obstacles every step of the way. And Jesus kept going. He kept rising to the challenge in the power of the Holy Spirit following the will of God for his life. And if Jesus Christ can do that for him, he can do that for you and I. Whatever challenge you are facing, whatever question, whatever obstacle, whatever is in your path, If this is a path God wants you to go, then he will enable you to go down that path. He will enable you to face that giant. He will enable you to face whatever the challenge is and go through that with him. That's exactly what the life and ministry of Jesus illustrates. Notice the next one. Verse 27. A question of the resurrection. Some Sadducees who contend that there is no resurrection. By the way, that's why they're sad, you see. Come on. I'm on medication. So let me me just give you briefly a history of the Sadducees. The Sadducees and the Pharisees were rivals in Israel at this point. You could sort of say, you you pick whatever one you want. One was Democrat, the other one was Republic. They, They didn't get along very well. Primarily for a couple reasons. The Sadducees, unlike the Pharisees, did not believe in the resurrection. 
They did not believe in the existence of angels. You'll see that in this passage. The only thing that the Sadducees believed in was the Torah, the first five books of Moses. And primarily the Sadducees were all about just being moralistic. You know, their way to God was just being good. They, they saw no, nothing so much supernatural in a relationship with God in any way. It was, again, more about reduced to being moral good people. So, they thought, these other people have failed, but we got him. We're going to come up, we've come up with a question that's just, he's never going to be able to answer. They ask him, teacher, Moses wrote for us, so again, notice, Moses Moses wrote for us that if a man's brother dies, leaving a wife but no children, that man must marry the widow and father children for his brother. The Leverite marriage. Esther, Boaz. Or not Esther, Boaz. Ruth and Boaz. Wow. Ruth and Boaz. Boaz was, was the Leverite. He was the one that was going to marry so that that family name and family line and all of that could continue. That was something that the Old Testament taught. So, they say, hey, there were seven brothers. And so this wife goes through the first one, dies without children. The second one, then the third marries her in the same way. All seven died, leaving no children. Can I say the first thing I thought of? Nobody should be marrying that wife anymore. She's bad news. Everybody that marries her dies. But here's, here's the point. Verse 32, finally the woman died. And so... In the resurrection, this is how foolish this whole resurrection thing is, Jesus. Here's how stupid the teaching of the resurrection is. Because if there is a resurrection, whose wife will this woman be? For all seven had married her. We got him. We got him. This is going to show how foolish, you know, believing in resurrection is. Because it's going to just convolute our earthly relationships up there. But Jesus said to them, the people of this age marry and are given in marriage, but those who are regarded as worthy to share in that age and in the resurrection from the dead, neither marry nor are given in marriage. In fact, they can no longer die because they're equal to, notice, angels, he had to throw that in there, and are sons of God since they are the sons of the resurrection. So a couple things. First of all, Jesus is saying, well, first of all, the premise of your question is faulty because you're coming from a standpoint, a very human, earthly standpoint, that somehow relationships, once we get to heaven, after the resurrection, is going to be based on the way relationships are here. And Jesus is saying, that's a faulty premise. The afterlife has a whole new paradigm of existence to this life. Now please, I, I'm not saying that if you were married or you had children or brothers and sisters and that family and friends are not going to be special to you throughout eternity and that somehow you're not going to have a relationship with them. That's not what Jesus is saying. What Jesus is saying is, don't, but don't carry what happens here on earth, especially with marriage and children. Because Jesus is saying, when you and I get to heaven... There's not going to be marriage in heaven anymore. There, there's not going to be people having children because there's no, there's no carrying on some family line or some family ancestry in heaven. It's all going to be moot. We're all going to love each other equally in heaven. 
And even the ones that we love down here on earth, that we think we love, we don't even know love until we get to heaven because we're going to be able to love all those that we really do love now in such a greater way up there because we're not going to have this sin nature and that pull of self to hold us back from really loving the people that we even love here. But Jesus is saying, don't judge the way heaven's going to be by the way you do things on earth. Yes, we're going to have relationships. And yes, you all will be very special to me throughout eternity. We'll probably hang out and have a few brownies together every once in a while. But we also have to understand when we get to heaven, everybody who's in heaven from all time, we're going to have an equal in a sense, love for everybody up there, just as they're going to have for us. And, and sort of the family thing that, you know, and, and the close friendships and, and that little huddle that we maybe exist with throughout our earthly lives down here, which I'm not saying that's bad. It's good. But it's not going to be that way in heaven because it's going to be perfect in heaven without sin. And that's what Jesus is trying to get them to see. And then I love this. Jesus did this all the time. He, he proves the resurrection by the very thing that they say is all that they believe. He takes them back to the Torah, to the writings of Moses, and says in verse 37, even Moses revealed that the dead are raised in the passage about the bush, where he calls God the Lord, the Lord, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. Well, if he's the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, then they can't be dead. They've got to be alive. So that means the scriptures teach the resurrection. And I'll even prove it from the only books that you recognize. Oh, boy. Then some, I love this. Then some of the experts in the law answered, teacher, you've spoken well. And notice, they did not dare any longer ask him anything. Again, showdown. Okay, corral. Jesus, religious leaders. It doesn't matter. Every time they came up at him, they were the ones that blinked, not him. And Jesus wants to instill that same power, wisdom, and strength in all of his servants. There are going to be challenges to your life in ministry for God. There, there's going to be obstacles. There's going to be questions about you that others are going to raise. And you have to stand in Christ, in his power, in his wisdom, and in his strength. And you've got to not blink. You've got to keep going and doing what God wants you to do, regardless of all the pressures and all the things that are coming against you. Because God, in his wisdom, will not always remove all those challenges and obstacles and opposition from your path. He will place them there so that you and I can learn to truly be strong in him. Exactly like Jesus. So because they didn't have any more questions for him, he had a question for them. Verse 41, he said to them, how is it that they say that the Christ is David's son? For David himself says in the book of Psalms, the Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool footstool for your feet. If David then calls him Lord, how can he be his son? Again, Jesus teaching them. It's not an either or 
proposition. It's a both and. In other words, what I'm saying is this. They had trouble understanding because they thought either the Messiah has to be David's son or he has to be David's Lord. He can't be both. That doesn't make sense. That's part of why they were tripping over this whole thing of a suffering Messiah. Because they could understand the Lord part. Yeah, we want the Messiah to come and overthrow the Roman government and set up his kingdom immediately and all that. They couldn't understand the David's son part. And, and they did as far as the kingdom goes. It was like, we like that part of David's son. But they couldn't see that Jesus, the Messiah, could be both David's son and David's Lord. Which is exactly what he was. He is an ancestor in the line of David. The rightful heir to the throne. But he's also David's Lord as well. And, and that's where you and I if, I, if I could share some encouragement with you, I think in this passage, maybe more than any other passage in the scriptures, one of the things that Jesus is showing us so that we don't get tripped up and confused many times by what the scriptures say or teach is don't get backed into a corner where you have to say it either has to be this or that. Because that's what was tripping up the religious leaders, and that's what they thought would trip up Jesus. And many times Jesus showed them it doesn't have to be an either or. It can be a both and in many instances. And they just couldn't get that. And then finally, we close out the passage in verse 45, 46, and 47, where he has a warning. As all the people were listening, and you can imagine, after this showdown that Jesus has with all these religious leaders, and he's basically put them all in their place, oh man, I'm sure that everybody, again, just like last week, they were hanging on his words. And then Jesus said to his disciples, beware of the experts in the law. They like walking around in long robes. They love elaborate greetings in the marketplaces and the best seats in the synagogues and the places of honor at banquets. They devour widows' property and as a show make long prayers. They will receive a more severe punishment. Whoa. You and I cannot imagine the force and the impact of those words on those who heard that that day. Jesus is talking about our religious leaders. These are the guys that we've been taught ever since we were a small child that we were to look up to and follow and emulate. And now this Jesus comes along. And he's basically questioning and challenging everything that they do and telling us, be careful. Because their religion is all about this superficial piety just to put on a show and there's no real heart devotion. And Jesus is saying, in my kingdom, in a relationship with God, it's not about surfacey, superficial stuff to put on a show. It's about reality. It's about what's really there in the heart and the outside will take care of itself. So again, tonight more than anything else, <clears throat> I hope that when you think of Luke chapter 20, you will think of a chapter that is characterized by people challenging Jesus over 
and over and over again. And Jesus rising to the challenge. That it wasn't Jesus who blinked in this passage. It was his challengers that blinked. And the reason why this should be an encouragement to us is because as we live our lives for God and we serve and we minister in his name, there will be many times in our life where we will be challenged, we will be opposed, we will be questioned, and just like Jesus, we need to rise in the arms of Jesus and stand in his wisdom and strength and not blink and keep moving forward. And can I say, coming up on three years here, by the way, I'll be telling you about our anniversary here in a couple of weeks celebration. Coming up on three weeks, though, in about another month, one of the things that I would share, and you guys know it as well, and some of you, you've had to go through it too, is we've had plenty of challenges, plenty of opposition, and plenty of people questioning what we're doing here. And that will continue. Because when you're doing what God wants you to do, Satan's not going to leave you alone. And I take great encouragement from what I'm seeing in this church because God is building a group of people that are learning to be strong and not not look for the easy life, but look for the life that God blesses. And God is knitting our hearts together because we need to realize there's going to continue to be all kinds of stuff. Man, these last couple weeks, for one reason or another, Our staff, our leadership has been hit with so many different things, even just like physical stuff. And you begin to go, that's not coincidental. It's just not. And then you come on Sunday and the soundboard doesn't work and the lights don't work and Jeff and his team are scrambling around. And can I just say too, God bless Jeff and Kendall and all them. You you need to thank them for all that they do. They, uh, they, they're just always scrambling around, but especially on Sunday. And, and I just got to the point, I'll, I'll be very honest, I got to the point, I was angry. And not, not in a, I was angry. I was like, Satan, you are not, you are not going to win the day. I don't care what you throw at us. God is bigger than all these obstacles and all these things that are being thrown at us. You are not going to win this day. And can I tell you, even though I don't remember a lot of it because of medication, I believe God showed up on Sunday. And I believe God will continue to show up because we're not going to be, we're not going to be looking at the externals. And we're not going to be, we're not going to be discouraged by all the things that are thrown at us. Because can I tell you, groups of Christians and individual Christians can get to the point, if they're not strong in the Lord, as these things begin to get hurled at them, they just throw up their hands and give up. Jesus never gives up. Jesus doesn't want his followers to give up, no matter what's thrown at them. He will be strong for us, and he will enable us to get through whatever challenges we have in front of us. And I'm excited about what's ahead, because I know that all this opposition from the enemy is only because God is doing a work here. And we just need to keep on going and following him. So before I pray, and run it completely out of voice, I told Marcia Price, our women's director, I would make sure I announced this. So a real praise this Sunday 
at last count at least that I got from Woody is we had 55 men signed up to go to lunch together after church on Sunday. That's, that's cool. Can I just say that that's really cool. We're going to take over Rudy's on Sunday. Can I also say that's a lot of meat. I'm looking forward to that. Uh, anyway, so the gals thought, well, we don't want to let the guys have all the fun. We want to get together as gals. So the gals that have young children were like, though, no, we don't want to take our children to a restaurant or whatever. We're just going to take them to the park. The church is going to buy pizza for them. We're just going to hang out as young moms together and watch our kids. So there's a group that's doing that. If you would like to be a part of that group, you need to let Marsha know that as soon as possible because they need to get a count as far as how much pizza to order. Now, I know Marsha's not here tonight. Marsha is suffering from a sinus infection. But you can email Marsha. And if you don't know Marsha's email, you can see my wife, Lisa. All right? Now, the other group. The other group is there are women who are going to Floridino's, really good Italian restaurant, by the way, in Chandler, for food after church as well. If you would like to be part of that group of women that go to Floridino's on Sunday, you need to let Marcia know as quickly as possible so that she can make final reservations with Floridino's. Again, if you do not have Marcia Price's email address, you can, yes. No, it cannot be an either or. It's got to be a no, no. I yeah, I I get that. They are. I think it was just some of these some of these gals thought they didn't want to do that, so they're providing something in the park for those moms that don't want to do that. Yeah, we, we would never do that. You got kids, you can't come in. We would never do that. All right, let's pray. Lord God, thank you so much. For Jesus, Lord, we, we're just amazed that, Lord, not only is, our, is he our Savior, but Lord, he's such a great example of the kind of life that you want to build into our lives. You want to make us like Jesus. You want to conform us to the image of Jesus Christ. And Lord, we see in this passage that Jesus' life and ministry wasn't easy by any stretch. Jesus needed to be willing and strong enough to stand up to all those who questioned him and challenged him and opposed what you had called him to do. And Lord, they're going to do the same thing with us. In our life and ministry, there's going to be many times where we are opposed, we are challenged, we are questioned. But God, all you ask of us is to be faithful to you. And if we are faithful to you, you will give us all the strength, all the wisdom, all the grace... All that we need to keep persevering and hanging in there and not giving up in spite of all that's being hurled at us. So God, I hope tonight that this passage was at least encouraging to one person. Maybe there's one person here tonight that they've just been going through the fires lately. They know that they're doing what you've asked them to do. They know that they're on the path you've called them to be on. But Lord, in this season, it just seems like it's one thing after another, and it's really hard. Lord, take this passage tonight and encourage them. Help them to see that in those seasons where it's really hard, we just got to keep on going. 
There will be an end to that season. And Jesus will get us through. We pray in his name. Amen.